20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. It's the first day of November, and that's, of course, time for Pack-A-Day, your 24-7, 365-day-a-year Packer podcast. I'm Jake Turner, and uh, in tonight's also a uh, writer for Dairyland Express and PackersTalk.com, he is Mike Wendland. And, uh, Mike, how you doing? I'm not doing too bad. It's been an eventful week for the Packers, but still got to move ahead. You got the Patriots coming up, and no better time to talk about the team. Yes, thank goodness now that the month of October is under wraps, Halloween is over, and uh, with some of the news that happened uh, late Wednesday night, uh, we are pretty much in Packerland saying thank you, let's move on to the next month. It's been a... It's been a house of horrors for the Packers this month uh, in October, but uh, with the trade deadline now passed, haha, Clint Dix with Washington. You got, of course, uh, Ty Montgomery. He's now in Baltimore. Got a couple of things out of it. Mike, what was your thoughts on yesterday's trade? Uh, for me, it was bittersweet because I, uh, I was a defender of haha for a while, and I understand the moves because I know it sounded like they never even approached him for a contract, so they were going to let him walk anyway. And it was a good move to get get uh, basically a year early comp pick for him. Uh, I wish him the best. I really did appreciate the statements they both made after leaving, as far as how much they do want to stay connected to the communities up here in Green uh, in the Green Bay area. Uh, both help uh, both of them helping with young young at risk kids and trying to help them improve their stock in life as well, like the chances that they got when they were younger. So I appreciate that. I I have a great amount of respect for those guys for what they did off the field as well as on the field for the the jobs they've done. But that being said, it's a big statement by the team saying we're going to build a team in Brian Gutekunst's vision and what he wants to do with this team. And that's I'm moving on for the from these uh, fairly young guys who didn't make it to a second contract. So it's it's bittersweet, but I also understand it, and I'm ready to see what what he has looking forward for the team going on. What was your thoughts on how uh, Gutekust uh, reacted to this? This was the most proactive that the Packers have done in a trade deadline in a very long time. I I like what he did. I I liked his attitude with it. He he was very especially with his pressers today. He was professional. He under he talked about the business of the game and what it's like. And and he he no no one has a better pulse of this team than he does. He's been around for decade for a couple decades now. He's on the job, he's uh, rebuilding this team the way he wants it to. He knows what he want, what the type of players he's looking to try and get. And the questions about the safety spot notwithstanding, he looks like he's ready to go. He's ready to make some moves. And whether the Packers make the playoffs or the Super Bowl or not, this offseason, they're going in with about $40 million in cap room to try and make a big splash for maybe a guy like Jadavion Clowney, which, mm-hmm. who's, gonna, who's scheduled to be a free agent this coming year. And there's questions about whether Houston will keep him. So he's setting up to to really make a massive impact starting in about next February. Yeah, they were able to clear out $3.1 million in uh, the trades for Hawkland Dix and uh, Ty Montgomery. Uh, so, so talking about that for a minute when it comes to uh, Guntekust and uh, the Packers, why should Packer fans feel confident still about this season? Well, they still have Aaron Rodgers for one thing. <laughs> they still have the, the very best player in the game. Uh, he's... He's getting healthier. He's this team is getting more confident. He's building trust with some of his younger players, and it's also Jimmy Graham, despite what the numbers are saying. 
there will be more carries for Aaron Jones with Ty Montgomery no longer in the room, and the balance is starting to shift toward Jones to begin with. And this defense just put up one of their best performances they have in years. So I think there's a lot to be excited for, and with how they shape the secondary, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with Tom Brady and company this week. But there's, but even without these couple players, there's still a lot of talent there, and there's still a lot of season left, and they're only half a game out of first in the NFC North. So this season is far from over, and as Aaron Nagel says, a lot of season, a lot of game left. Who are some of the players that are working in safety right now? Well, during practice today, the big notable one was Tremont Williams got some reps at the free safety spot. Uh, there's also talk about Brashad Breland being back there, potentially for Josh Jackson as well, along with the typical Kentro Bryce, Jermaine Whitehead, and Raven Green. And so those are the big ones. I personally think that they're going to take the mold that that a lot of Wisconsin fans and those that the Brewers have taken, where they don't list guys as a certain position. They are football players. They are secondary players. So I think uh, Mike Fenn's going to mix and match depending on matchups and how his talent goes. So there will be different plays in it this week. I think we'll see Tremont back there. We'll see Breland. We'll see Whitehead. We'll see Josh Jackson maybe playing a strong safety spot against shitting over on like a Rob Gronkowski. So it's, I think it's going to be a mix and match scenario. But I do think that Tremont Williams probably has the first crack of being that starting free safety. What uh, player do you want to see at that position? I personally want to see Rashad Breland. Uh, that was when he came out of college the talk of him was that he might not have the foot speed or the lateral agility to be a boundary corner in the NFL and granted he has proven that wrong but he's got the size he's willing to hit he's willing to move up play in the box and he and he's been a playmaker on the ball the past couple years when he was in Washington so I think you put him in that spot to balance out the wild and athletic play of Bryce who has made plenty of mistakes but the athleticism is very much there and I, I think with Breland balancing that out, I think that opens things up for a little more uh, willingness to tackle and a lot more power than Tremont Williams. Like, Tremont's a great deep safety, like an Earl Thomas light, but he's not the strongest. He's not the greatest at the point of attack, whereas Breland's willing to come up and he will hit you. So I think the best scenario is to have him hit and have Tremont kind of be that second slot corner outside uh, opposite Jair Alexander. What is the difference between Don Capers and Mike Patton? The biggest thing is the attitude. Uh, Capers was willing to sit back and be kind of laid back. He'd make the calls, but you never saw you never saw that edge with the Packers, mm-hmm. especially the, in the later Capers years. There's a few of them early, like the 2010 season, but that was partly like Winston Moss and Kevin Green's doing. Where here with with Penn State, you have guys who are playing right on that edge. You see, Mike Daniels has always been kind of one of those emotional players who's gonna kind of push the boundaries every now and then. You but you see that more now with guys like Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, who are gonna be in your face. They're gonna talk. They're gonna be aggressive and physical with you. And this team just has that swagger, that attitude, that desire to hurt you that we haven't seen in the past decade. This is a uh, pack a day, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five year. Packer Podcast, Mike Wendlandt of uh, writer for Dairyland Express and PackersTalk.com, a, a colleague of mine, joining us here on Pack-A-Day. Packers and Patriots, Sunday night football, it's going to be awesome. Your thoughts on Rodgers' quotes today about Brady? I think you blame him. Uh, Brett, right, the, at the end of the day, Brady's going to go down as, as the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. I think Rodgers is the best of all time, but mm-hmm. It is a quarterback position where wins do play a part, and Brady's got got those five rings. He is, as far as winning-wise go, the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. So I, I, I understand his point, and, and it's 
as well as Rogers, they come did win at the only head to head matchup these two had. But it's a it's good for him to have that respect for Brady and not overlook him and not kind of talk down on him. Just to, you don't want to give Brady any more motivation. And so I think it was a professional way. It was a good, respectful answer. But Rogers also made the point that we're not backing down. We're not going to lay down because Brady's so good. So I think it was a, it was a good answer, and it's something that we've seen from Rogers over the years. Very diplomatic. How do you like how Mike McCarthy and Bill Belichick are talking about each other's teams? I like it. I think there's a lot of respect there. And I know a lot of fans don't like this, but Mike McCarthy still is a good coach. He's, mm-hmm. he's his, he, he, especially as the years go on, he's always really good in November and December. He's always seems to be at his best later in the season. Once he, it takes him longer to get the pulse of the team, but once he does, he knows how to tailor that. And if you remember back in 2014, the last time these two teams played, yeah, Mike, Mike McCarthy thoroughly outcoached Bill Belichick in Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was a coaching clinic from from the big man, but I think the both play, both coaches seem to have like a reverence for each other and a very deep seated respect for each other. And I think when you see a lot of oh, especially now when you see a lot of coaches that don't like each other, even going back to like the Jim Schwartz Jim Harbaugh thing, it's good to see that kind of camaraderie between these coaches who are who don't see who don't play each other one, except for once every four years. So I, I appreciate the the, t- the words that they said about each other, and you know, you both know both coaches are like going to have their A games ready for each other. Let's talk about the rumors that are happening right now in Cleveland. Uh, you know, you got John Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith. The national media is gaga over this idea of Mike McCarthy going to Cleveland. But what is the status of the job right now for McCarthy in Green Bay? Well, he's got a year left after this year, so he he'd be a lame duck next year. Uh, I think, I personally think it would have to be a mon- monumental collapse. I think they'd have to go like one in eight over the next nine for him to be fired. I don't think that'll happen. I think they may let him go in as a lame duck next year, or they might extend him if the Packers can get healthy, uh, stay healthy, and make a run. Uh, I think, I think he's under, I think he's undervalued here by a lot of people in, in those in the Green Bay because. It's, he's been here for 13 years, it's, mm-hmm. so people get, kind of get used to it. They want to see something fresh. You see the the emergence of guys like the the Wonder Kinds and Sean McVay and guys like Kyle Shanahan who have all these great looks that teams haven't really prepared for yet, and a lot of accounting for guys like Lincoln Riley to come in. So I think I think we're not we don't appreciate it until it's gone. So I think if McCarthy's gone and we don't get a coach like who everyone expects to be like the next Sean McVay, there's going to be a very quick longing for the the consistency and the steadiness that Mike McCarthy brought and the gravity of what he brought to, back to the team after the Wild West that was Mike Sherman's era. But yeah. I, I think I think I don't think even if he were to go, Cleveland would be his spot for him. Because I think John Dorsey, those guys probably would want it. Get away from getting the Green Bay East label. They, you don't want to go <laughs> full, fully fully that way because there will always be then comparisons to. Can Baker Mayfield be Aaron Rodgers then, or can so on and so on and so on? So I think Cleveland's not going to look toward McCarthy. They're going to look for something else, maybe like a John DeFilippo De, De and so on, and get someone like that to help with the quarterbacks. But I think I think McCarthy will be back next year, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I think we're going to learn to appreciate him more as this year goes on. Yeah, last week I did a piece on uh, McCarthy and the time clock ticking right now because of the schedule. But it's interesting how you bring up uh, how he has one more year left because this is just me and I probably got it wrong. But 
that I thought that the one-year extension meant that this was his final year. Was he under a contract year coming into this, or what was Gunakas doing? I think they, I think Ted Thompson actually gave him the extension. I think that okay. it was, and it goes through twenty nineteen. I want to say because I because we will be talking about this at nearly as much if his contract was up. There won't be talk of firing him. There won't be talk of moving on. It would be okay. His contract's up, so we'll just let him walk away. That's what. That's, that's, so I think there's still one year left. I think Thompson gave him that extra year, but then when Ted stepped down, Brian uh, uh, adopted that contract with him. And with the new power structure, it makes things a little more interesting as well. If you were Mike McCarthy and you were going against the Patriots, Sunday Night Football, what emphasis are you looking at more? Passing game or establishing the running game early on? To me, it's going to depend on the forecast, honestly, because the Patriots' defense isn't that great. If it's going to be cold and frustrating and just kind of bitter, then I, I focus on at least early on, get, controlling the clock, uh, keeping Tom Brady off the field, so you're going to get a steady diet of Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Because if we saw anything in games last year, Jamal Williams is built for those cold weather games with his power and his ability to uh, absorb contact like like a bowling ball. So I think they're going to try and get the run game going, but the secondary for the Patriots is nicked up. They're outside of Stephon Gilmore and Devin McCourty. They're very, very average. And so we could see a lot of Devontae Adams and a lot of Geronimo Allison on the outside to try and take advantage of the Patriots' secondary and kind of limit the pass rush that they're going to try and bring forward. You're listening to the Pack-A-Day podcast here on Thursday, November 1st, 2018. I'm Jake Turner alongside Mike Wenlint, the writer for Dairyland Express and PackersTalk.com and also a colleague of mine. Uh, Let's talk about some of the tragedies that we've had here in the Packer family. Uh, Tom Bratz, uh, former GM of the Packers, dies at 85. What did Bratz do to help out the Packers? Uh, He was... Well, the key a vice president of the team up before they brought in Rod Wolf, so he was in charge of a lot of those '80s teams, the mm-hmm. the Dom the Lenny and Fani years. So he did a lot of those uh, those type of player development moves, and but then he was the one who ended up paving the way to bring in Ron Wolf and to help bring Mike Holmgren in and Brett Favre and Reggie White and all those years later on. So he was kind of like the bridge and the bridge and one of those guys who was involved with the dark years of the Packers. Mm-hmm. But he still played a big role in the cardiac pack of 89. So he's right. He's, he's an important guy in team history. And it's, it, it was tough seeing the news about his passing, especially after what we learned early on. Cause mm-hmm. he took over in, he took over, uh, in 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Bart Starr, he brought in uh, Forrest Gregg, and then Bratz uh, eventually took o- uh, Philly took over in the mid '80s after Forrest Gregg, and he took him through about 1991. How will Packer fans remember him? I think they're going to remember him for the cardiac pack years. I think they're going to remember him for one getting rid of Forrest Gregg and helping get the team back away from the the dirty play that was of the mid '80s. And for for that amazing year in '89, it's a couple years before my time, but with Don Mikowski and all those all those guys in those five years, he he, uh, he was responsible for drafting Sterling Sharp and Leroy Butler. Uh, he also yeah uh, he, uh, he also had the pick that Rod Wolf the year later traded for Brett Favre. 
but he's also going to be remembered for missing on Tony Mandridge. So it's a mixed draft record, but he's going to be remembered a lot for his late 80s moves as far as uh, hiring Lindy Infante and the 89 team and then drafting guys like Roy Butler and Sterling Sharp. Another member of the Packers uh, died also, uh, Bob Skaronsky, nine years with Vince Lombardi, Super Bowl champions. How will he be remembered? He'll be remembered as the, one of the steadiest and uh, most important Packers of the Lombardi era. He was the left tackle for the uh, almost the entirety of the Lombardi era. Uh, Lombardi called him the most underrated player he's ever had. Uh, he was the captain of the offense for most of his tenure over guys like Bar Sauer and Horning and Taylor. He was a guy who was who was the locker room leader as much as those guys, a multi-time Pro Bowler, an all-pro player, uh, former fifth-round pick. And he was always, and this is from uh, a lot of his teammates, that he was always the highest-graded player among the offensive line, more than Jerry Kramer, more than Forrest Craig, more than Jim Ringo. Mm-hmm. Skronsky was the most consistently high-rated player among among the uh, the Packers' offensive line. And, and he's going to be remembered as a guy who people underrated and a guy who was yep. said he did his job and was very, very good at what he did. And he's going to be a guy who... Our star lobbied for years to have him be the hall of be in the hall of fame over Jerry Kramer. So a lot of uh, Skronsky is going to be remembered very well. He's a Packer Hall of Famer, and I do I kind of hope to see something in the next home game that to try and remember uh, number seventy six. It's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Out of all out of the the three Packers that have uh, lost their lives here, which one is going to stand out the most? Bratz, Skronsky, or Taylor? Probably Jimmy Taylor, just because the the recognition he had. He was the first Lombardi player to go in the Hall of Fame. He was the face of the hard-nosed power-run teams of the early and the mid-1960s. He Every video or newspaper article you saw had, you saw Jim Taylor with the mud going down his face mask, the blood gashing from his forehead, <laughs> and he... And he was the guy, he was just, he was the image of a, an old school Lombardi team, whereas outside of Jerry Kramer, offensive lineman didn't get that much recognition, so he didn't see too much with Skronsky, except for he was involved, I think, in the helping carry Lombardi off the field. But it's, it's going to be Jimmy Taylor who's the most remembered just because of the fame that he had as a player. But uh, all three guys are going to be greatly missed from in Packer Nation. What are you expecting out of the Packers over the next few weeks? I expect a similar play for the Packers over the next few weeks. I think I think the Rams game was just a start, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to build off it. I think, like I said, this team is always better coming out of the bye in the second half of the season. They always have it under Mike McCarthy, with the exception of last year, but that's extenuating circumstances with Aaron Rodgers missing half of his shoulder. But I I think this team is they're going to be ready to play, and they always play well against these top-flight competition teams in the regular season. They, they outplayed New England badly in 2014. They, You can make a case that they outplayed L.A. last week, and they should have won that game. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think this team is going to be ready to go. New England coming up. I think they're going to be set to go on a Sunday night. Miami, especially if Brock Osweiler is still starting, I think is right for the picking. <laughs> and and then you have the tough one in Seattle. That's going to be brutal. Uh, Thursday night game in Seattle is going to be very, very tough against Russell Wilson and with fatigue setting in and having to travel two time zones on short rest is going to be really, really tough. But I think this team is going to start to prove people wrong. A lot of people have been writing off the Packers, uh, whether it's after the trade line, deadline or going into the bye week. A lot of people were writing them off. Uh, this is a below 500 team. This is a team that has no discipline. This is a team that McCarthy has lost. 
I think it's all going to be the opposite. I think this team is going to be ready to go and raring to go, and they're going to be set to make some plays. What teams would be the biggest wins to prove the national media wrong? If they go into Boston and beat New England, that's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. People still consider the Patriots the class of the league, and right now uh, I was listening to the radio this afternoon, and Tiki Barber was talking about how the Patriots are his number two team in the NFL ahead of the Chiefs. So that's so right now the Patriots are always going to be a team to beat because they've been so remarkably good in the Brady and Belichick era. So going into there and making a statement on Sunday Night Football would go a long way. Besides that, especially because they haven't won a road game yet. Besides that, if they can go in three weeks on a short week and go and beat down the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, that's going to be another big statement to kind of continue a changing of the guard of the NFC to maybe Seattle fading to a team like Green Bay who has been the the, the, the definition of consistency for almost 15 years. You're listening to the Pack-A-Day podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can tweet us at at Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm Jay Tuner alongside Mike Wenland, uh, writer for Dairyland Express and Packerstock.com, and also a colleague of mine. Let's uh, talk about the Patriots here for a sec. Who wins Sunday night and why? I think the Packers win by seven. I think... That's right. I think it's going to be 28-21. I think the Packers are going to come in motivated to prove everyone wrong that they can't finish off a game. Uh, Last week, they showed that they can play a penalty-free football, clean football against a top-flight offense in tough weather. And and the Patriots showed that they were beatable. They didn't look very good Monday night against Buffalo. They didn't look very good against the Bears. And if one for two special team touchdowns, they don't beat Chicago. So Mm. I think they are beatable. I think McCarthy for some odd reason, matches up really well when he's coaching opposite Bill Belichick to the point where they beat him in 2014. They almost beat him with Matt Flynn in 2010, which makes things even more interesting of all that. And they were they were literally an offensive lineman kickoff return and a touchdown by a convicted murderer from winning that game. And so I think they're going to be – this team is going to be really ready to go. And with uh, a locker room culture that seems to be improving with uh, – departures and and with the attitude good consist setting to be be all in or don't show up i think this team is raring to go they're ready to go and sunday night they're going to prove that they are still a very good football team i like it i'm going to go with the packers too and i think they'll win on a field goal by mason crosby i think that's how it'll be i think it's going to be a, a terrific football game so i'm really excited Agreed. to watch that uh, let's talk about locker rooms here for a minute Martellus Bennett was part of this before Brian Gutekus came in. He didn't make it uh, throughout the season last year, but he's going after Packer fans. What is Martellus Bennett's problem now? Uh, I think he got, I don't know the full story completely. I've been trying to ignore it because mm-hmm. it's, it kind of makes, it makes me frustrated and very, very sad to see right. uh, the, the anger. Because I got really, really angry Sunday night with the vitriol that was late launch toward Ty Montgomery and and a picture of his son on Instagram I got visibly oh my, r- what, a- angry and just beyond words whoa. and seeing stuff like that I think maybe someone like Bennett saw that and he launched into a diatribe against the state of Wisconsin uh, calling the entire state racist and saying you, you don't see an African American unless they play for the team and stuff like that and and I understand freedom of speech. He has it. Go, go for him. Say what you want. But it's very – as someone who lives an hour from Green Bay and someone who has grown, been born and raised and moved back to Wisconsin after college, 
and and as a guy who works for radio stations in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. it 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 kind of stings to see a guy who was there for just a few months in the state go after all of us, and it is kind of uh, an insult for all of us too to hear that. And I understand there's some big time problems in the state. Every city has it. Every small town has people like that, and there are some issues yeah. in Wisconsin. But to to broadly paint an entire state and people who supported you when you came in here and people who were really hoping the best for you when you came in to kind of spit on them like that uh, is is very, very disconcerting and makes me really, really upset. I think he paints too broad of a picture because, yes. look, I talked to Andy Herman. I talked to you. I talked to Zachary Jacobson, Zach Cruz. We all talked about this and we all agreed. What we saw out of that small group of Packer fans who act like a bunch of keyboard warriors, threatening, calling names, death threats and all that, that's not Packer fans. Those aren't true Packer fans because when I was looking on Packers Twitter, I saw a big band of Packer fans that were like, what are you talking about? Why are you doing this? I mean, even when we talked about it here on the podcast, they came out and even said, I, as a Packer fan, will never threaten a football player over a fumble. We have to remember this as a fan base, that this is a football game. It's three hours of your life, and we understand you're a Packer fan. Maybe you lost money on it, but you don't threaten somebody's family. And then, after that happens, Martellus Bennett, you always pick the wrong time to jump on that bandwagon and make it even worse. Yeah, you put it well. I think, especially someone like Ty Montgomery, who has a young infant son, is something when you hear him tell his family, you guys can't be in public with me right now. That is unacceptable. And and the easiest way I can put it is that is unacceptable, and there is no standing for that. And I don't like seeing other players go after uh, a lot of fans who are very good for the actions of a few. I don't, I'm not a believer in blaming a giant group for the actions of a one. So, like, I'm not going to go after or Boston fans for throwing uh, throwing beer bottles at Alex Cora in the parade on mm-hmm. Wednesday. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to blame Philadelphia fans for beating up another fan. Like, I'm not going to go after it's it's the individual makes a choice. It's not a collective decision, and we need to look at that in every aspect of life. It's an individual decision that is made, not a broad brush that can be painted on everybody else. And so I. My recommendation is, whenever you see something like that, especially from a guy who has been as divisive as Martellus Bennett has been, and 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 the and the the, the jokers who have been going after Ty Montgomery, and I hope never actually meet the man in person because I don't want to see what he would do to them. All right, let's end. Uh, Ignore our, it. Let's Ignore end this. It. Yeah. All right, let's end this podcast on a good note. Uh, what yes. did you do for Halloween? I didn't do too much. I had the, luckily had the day <laughs> off of work. So I was able to uh, get some stuff organized, get some get some research done, get some writing done, and kind of just kind of unwind and get ready because I have a high school football coming up to broadcast. So I gotta oh. get my get my prep work done and get get my get my uh, tables ready for Friday night. Shameless plug. Go ahead. Actually, uh, folks, if, if you know, if you are in Wisconsin, you can listen to high school sports Friday night. I'll be doing level three playoffs here in Wisconsin as. Yeah, we're down to, I think, a final 58 teams in the entire state. So that's always going to be a lot of fun. And, and of course, you can listen to me Saturday morning. After the game, I'll be recording uh, Saturday's Pack of Day with Tyler Grezegor. All right. 
Well, Mike, uh, this is our first time doing this together. We've been working for PackersTalk.com, so we owe a lot to Jersey Al, of course. And uh, Absolutely. Definitely, uh, we'll have to do this another time. Thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been a blast. All right. Well, that was Mike uh, Wendlandt, uh, writer for Dairyland Express and PackersTalk.com. You can find this podcast at, at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. You can sound off on there. Uh, drop us a review at iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, or even Spotify. Yes, we are all over the Internet, and you have no excuse not to find one of the best Packer podcasts right now. So for Mike Wendlandt, I'm Jake Turner. You can tweet me at, at JakeTurnerSport. And if Mike, if you're still there uh give us real quick your twitter handle you can follow me at mike wendland uh, w-e-n-d-l-a-n-d-t all one word you'll find a lot of uh optimism and a lot of packers and brewers talk on there as well love it mike enjoy the game on sunday and we'll talk to you soon all right we'll talk to you later have a great one all right well that was pack a day podcast your 24 7 365 day a year packer podcast i'm jake turner enjoy your thursday it's a new month which means the three best words in the dictionary of the Green Bay Packers is Go Pack Go. And we will see you next time on the Pack-A-Day Podcast right here on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can find it anywhere, day or night. Have yourself a great night, everybody. Third and six, trailing 30-23. to 23, Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Touchdown pass, the Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beffert on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beffert looking, hit as he throws it, deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the challenge. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. He's got it, out of bounds, inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.